Second and six. The quick run of left. It's going to be kicked off. Anticipating Dunder. Walks in. Touchdown. Patriots. What did I just tell you? This guy who wears number four will give you one. And he just gifted you a pick. And Jones under center. A give to Stevenson. Runs it through the right side. Go. Bounces outside. See you. Goodbye. To the 10. To the 5. End zone bound. Patriots take the lead. Touchdown. New England. Now on a third and 10. Three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle. Hit by Chandler. Jones slips the head across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off the tackle of the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh Jones God. is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Come on. Raiders. Good night. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. And a victory for Las Vegas. That was the New England Patriots radio call. And a phenomenal call of this might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. Because it's accurate. It's one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen. Jacoby Myers throwing it backwards. Because the thing we haven't gotten to yet. And Jacoby Myers uh, owned up to it, took all the blame for it. But the thing we haven't gotten to is, let's pretend Chandler Jones wasn't there. What was the best case scenario? Mac Jones catches it on the fifty. Flicker to Mac Jones, you've and ever he's seen. got to run fifty yards. Like the best yeah. case scenario is Mac Jones catches it and falls down to end the play. Right. What a disaster. Well, it's just like get to <laughs> overtime. Why are you trying to win? And that's what he said. He's like, I was trying to be a hero. Why? Like, wh- how does that get into your head to be like, we need to score? No, you don't. He did. Would you, if you were Jacoby Myers, would you have lied? Because he said afterwards, I knew it was tied, right? Because a lot of people were like, maybe he thought they were losing. Yeah. Because if you were losing, you throw the ball back to, to Mac Jones because sure. that's the last play of the game. But he owned up to it and said, nope, I knew we were tied. I was trying to be the hero. Should he have lied and said, no. oh, I thought we were, what's worse, making that play or not knowing the score? Because, because they're both pretty bad. if he says he doesn't know if it's tied, then that goes up the food chain and now the coaches have to answer for it. And so that's not worth it. You always, it, honesty is the best policy. I think the coaches have to answer for that too. <laughs> Why are that's you I mean, once it, There's player exit, <laughs> there's plans, and then there's execution. And so it's uh, it's a different proposition. And I'm glad that we were the benefactor of said brain. All right. Ed is not here, but it doesn't mean we're not going to hand out some grades. Grainy's grades. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Grainy's grades. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. God damn it, I hate Jake Fanny! All right, no Ed today, but we're still handing out grades. First topic to grade, Devontae Adams. (sighs) He was kind of missing for a lot of the game, wasn't he? Four catches for 28 yards. How many targets? Uh, I want to say he got up to eight or nine. Yeah. Um, I would say probably failure. Wow. Well, he, you. he really didn't affect the game that much, and you're supposed to be the ultimate effector. All right. 
Uh, I am not a football film breakdown guy, and I have not seen anybody do this yet, but this is my assumption based on how the final two drives of this game went. Uh, First off, I'll give Devontae Adams an A. Solid. My assumption here is that the Patriots decided Devontae Adams is not getting open. Yep. And my assumption is because Adams didn't uh, make any big plays. But the last two drives were effectively deep balls or sideline throws to Mac Hollins Mm -hmm. and the touchdown pass, basically a 30-yard fade, to Keelan Cole. And my assumption here is that the Patriots decided Adams is not beating us. We're draping him with whatever coverage we need to. And we're going to leave Mac Hollins and Keelan Cole in one-on-one scenarios. And that's where the Raiders tried to beat the Patriots. And they actually did on the final drive. So I'm going to give Devontae Adams an A because I am going to give him credit. I'm assuming this is what we're going to get a film breakdown of at some point this week. I'm going to give him credit for drawing defenders and allowing Keelan Cole and Mac Hollins to be one-on-one. Because here's the other thing. The second-to-last drive where the Raiders did not score, Mac Hollins beat his corner deep. Yeah. Would have been a touchdown. Car overthrew guys several times. Off his night. fingertips. Like, yep. that was absolutely a, hey, that's a game-tying touchdown with, with whatever, three minutes left or whatever it was on, like, a 70-yard pass. But it was just off his fingertips, just a little too far. Mac Hollins didn't make the great diving play or something right. maybe he could have made. But I all I believe it's all because of Adams. Well, and even though just, he didn't have the big game, I believe it's because of Well, that. nobody did, though. So did you really do your job <laughs> if you were drawing people and then you still couldn't find success? They from won the, the other? game. Oh. They won the game. N slash A. All right. Next topic to grade. Derek Carr. Failure. Man. He, he threw played, a game time touchdown. Well. He didn't play well. That touchdown came out of nowhere in the fourth quarter. Like I, we were all shocked that they were even able to get something done. Because, like I was saying earlier in the show, they had two drives in the final three minutes, and both of them were three and outs. Like just the management. And granted, maybe it's a play calling, and it's clearly that he says, "Well, I'm just doing what Josh tells me to do." So I have no say in what's going on out there. But he overthrew guys all game. He seemed frazzled, even though he had plenty of time. And ultimately, you are the the engine that pushes the ship. And so, I would like to see more from Mr. Derek Carr. I am going to give him a C. Okay. Um, simply because that game was everything Derek Carr is as a quarterback. We saw a few. Really good plays. My The best play I think he made was end of the first half. There was, I think, nine seconds left, and he throws the touchdown pass to Matt Collins. If that is an incompletion, the Raiders kick a field goal and do not score a touchdown mm-hmm. after the blocked punt at the end of the second quarter. That was a great play from Derek Carr. The touchdown pass to Keelan Cole, even though he's probably out of bounds, was a great pass I from I thought the Waller touchdown pass was his best pass right. of the day. He had some very good throws yep. in this game which is what Derek Carr does. He's going to make good throws. But we also saw some of the bad Derek Carr, right? The pick six, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously not good. But the bigger problem, and this has been a problem pretty much his entire career, his either inability to make plays on the run or the more concerning part that we've seen before, when he gives up on plays too early. Derek Carr's got to be more than any quarterback in the league, the guy that throws it away when he's not under pressure. He, he does it more than anybody else. Or he waits for the play to develop as long as possible and he takes more time off the clock. But you know what? That's maybe you're just trying too hard. So he, like, there's a, like, Patrick Mahomes is always the example that gets used, and it's in Division Two. Like, Patrick Mahomes is probably the best 
a freestyler in the NFL, right? Yeah. When when the play doesn't work in the first three seconds like it's supposed to, Mahomes tries to figure it out. And because make he throws sidearm and underarm yeah. and he's a creative genius. He figures it out. Carr, generally, if it doesn't work in the first three seconds, is taking a sack or throwing it out of bounds. Yeah, improvising is not a strong yeah. suit. He'll, he'll do it every now and then, but more often than not, it doesn't actually happen. All right, next topic to grade. Mac Hollins celebrating downing the punt at the two-yard line. Solid. Did you see a celebration? Oh, yeah. Was it the, the, the finger under the... Oh, he did that, too. Yeah, yeah. he did the gritty. And well, then everybody he did does the, the gritty because, yeah. you know, the, the influence of Justin Jefferson knows no bounds. But I thought he had a great game yesterday. I thought he was really solid, and it wasn't his fault that Derek Carr couldn't hit him in the hands when he was wide open and beat his route. So it's just interesting to see how much he gets targeted at the end of the game when you have so many weapons. And I know we talked to Ed about this a little bit in terms of the snap count on the other big names that were re-entering into that. But they just went full-blown, were focusing on Hollins as they were trying to you know, dink and dunk down the field. So Mac Hollins gets an A+. Plus. Uh, I love that we have seen two weeks in a row the Raiders down a punt inside the five and yeah. then celebrate like it's a massive play because I am, it is. I am all on board celebrating downing punts. That is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, A.J. Cole has been great, and he should get to celebrate those big plays. He might be the team MVP, A.J. Cole. <laughs> The uh, but I am giving an F to the Raiders defense because they down the ball inside the five against the Rams. Then the defense gave up the game winning touchdown to the Rams. And then in this game, when they down at the two, the very next play, Ramondre Stevenson runs for 26 yards to they get them out of danger. Killing them up the gut yesterday. Patriots Failure. Up a field goal on that drive. So two weeks in a row, the Raiders have pinned the other team inside the five and still given up points on it. So the defense is uh, blowing it there. Ole, here you yeah. go. Uh, next topic, Mac Jones. N slash A. I'm not really sure what I was watching with him yesterday. Because <laughs> I, I just don't think he's been put in a position to succeed on, on, on a multitude of levels. But as I was highlighting earlier, I think his attitude is piss poor. I don't think he's that great of a I leader. I the tantrums. I if you're good, it's one thing. He's not that good. He really isn't. He's not very athletic. And granted, the Pats clearly schemed, we're going to run it up the gut as much as possible. Like Stevenson, what, he had 150 on the ground plus, I think. And so it's not Mac Jones's game. This is where they had that game where he threw two passes that last season. The one, yeah, the Buffalo yeah, one. Absolutely like, insane. And so I, I don't know what to expect from him. 172 for Ramondre Stevenson yeah. on 19 carries. That's crazy. Um, okay. Mac Jones threw it 31 times in this game for 112 what? yards. What? He had 31 he passes? Yeah. And did not get How over How many did he complete, yards. though? 13. Yeah, there you go. Uh, here's, here's, okay. We saw Mac Jones as a rookie last year with Josh McDaniels calling plays, and he was a. Solid, just he was an average quarterback, right? He was an average NFL quarterback. And as a rookie, not getting paid a whole lot, that's that's fine, right? Obviously, you want better than that, but that's perfectly fine. He hasn't been very good this year, and he was atrocious yesterday. Without knowing a whole lot about the Patriots, though, this is on Matt Patricia, right? Correct. Yeah. Like, this is like... This is on Billy B. Like, you have an average quarterback, and he looks... Terrible. Yeah. This is like, this is the Patriots. This is Bill Belichick deciding Matt Patricia is going to call plays for us. And I, I think I'm going to, I'm not going to give Mac Jones the F, even though he probably deserves it. 
Yeah. But I think it's Patricia and Belichick for what the hell are you doing? Like they, get somebody in here that can call that, that calls offensive play that knows what they're doing on offense because that feels like where the biggest problem is for the Patriots is why the hell is Matt Patricia your play caller? Correct. So we're Patricia, so good we don't need an right. offensive coordinator. We'll figure it out from the internal. All right. Um, how about this topic? End of last week, the Raiders captains mandated that Josh Jacobs be named a captain. Am I grading this? Yeah. Solid. I think he's earned it. Don't you? Yes. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm interested in the player coach dynamic of players mandating that another player be named captain. No, I just. I think you have a group of people that come in and say, "Hey, we follow this guy. This guy's a leader. He's a hugely important to this team. He has been the team mostly at, at, at points of this season." He deserves to have that. We want we want him to be part of this group. We want him to have that anointedness about him. I don't think it's that. You, you guys need to do this. We voted. Because as my coach would say, this is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. And that's how it's going to roll. And I, Josh McDaniels said, sure. I don't think I have a grade for it. I will say it makes me feel more and more like uh, Josh Jacobs is not coming back with the Raiders next really? season. Uh, basically a, Hey, the players have to tell the coaches, we respect this guy. We want this guy to be a captain and not a coach saying, Hey, you've been really good. Here's a C on your Jersey for the last four games of the year. It just, it very much feels like the Raiders front office and coaching staff came in and said, we don't think Josh Jacobs is worth whatever a new contract, Mm -hmm. a fifth year option or anything like that. He's been really good this year, but they're still going to sit back and say, it's a running back, and we can find another running back that will produce for us close to what Josh Jacobs has given us. I don't agree. We'll see. We'll see if they end up. I think franchise tag might be the most likely outcome yep, here. I agree with that one. Uh, all right. Last topic. Bruce Cassidy being on the sidelines of the Raiders and Patriots game. N slash A. You think they both met after the fact because they ended up meeting with Bill? Yeah. Just being like, so things aren't going well for you either. Let's, uh, we haven't really been in this position before. What are, what are your notes on this situation? How do we get these teams motivated to the, to the level that we need to? I think the good news for Bruce Cassidy is, uh, his team hasn't lost in the most hilarious way possible. No, like he didn't have, uh, Paul Cotter passing it directly to the opposing team for a breakaway in overtime or something like that. Yeah. Or at least which, hasn't come back to hurt him in that way. Or Logan Thompson just shooting it into his own net somehow. No, Aiden Hills had a couple of gaffes. <laughs> it happens to all of us. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Breeze, but we'll get into UNLV's first loss of the season. Bischoff's Briefs. So I, uh, I figured it out. Bischoff's Briefs. My hot dog's coming back to his head and hot dog buns coming back to his bait. Bischoff's Briefs. See, the thing is that life doesn't always work out according to plan. Bischoff's Briefs. So, be happy with what you got. You can always get a hot dog. Massive sports weekend. We haven't even gotten to UNLV basketball who lost their first game of the season to San Francisco 75-73. I'm going to give you a breakdown here on the last three minutes of this game because UNLV took a 73-64 lead 
with 307 to go. That's pretty safe. Nine minutes or nine points with three minutes left. Um, UNLV didn't score from that point off, and San Francisco was nearly perfect. Uh, five offensive possessions for UNLV in those final three minutes. They did not score. They had two turnovers. They missed all three shots they took. Meanwhile, San Francisco scored on four of their five possessions. They hit three threes and made one layup to go on 11-0 run to win that game. It was a massive choke job by UNLV to lose their perfect record. There's a lot of blame to go around. I think something that deserves a lot of blame is Kevin Kruger. Uh, two things in that final three minutes. One, a mild problem, and the other one, I think, a much bigger one. First, the mild problem. Those last five offensive possessions, UNLV on two of them, they ran a play to get EJ Harkless like a post-up isolation at the elbow. Uh EJ Harkless was playing well in this game, but it's basically running a play for Bryce Hamilton, and instead you have EJ Harkless. They got out of that a missed three and a contested mid-range jumper, which, to be fair, at least they got a shot off, which they didn't on all their other possessions. But UNLV is going to have to have a better play in crunch time than, hey, throw it to EJ Harkless at the elbow. Because here's the problem. The 69 qualified players in the Mountain West, guys that have played enough minutes so far, uh, EJ Harkless ranks 59th in offensive rating. Uh oh. He is scoring this year, but he's not very efficient. He's a very inefficient, high volume scorer. And when you get into crunch time, you cannot say, we're going to give him the ball 15 feet away and ask him to create a good shot. There's got to be something better than that. But the bigger flaw Kevin Kruger decided to play Victory Waco over David Mawaka in the final minutes of this game. He actually played him more than David uh, Mawaka the entirety of the game. I don't know what Mawaka did during the game to kind of like get benched effectively there, but Mawaka is better than Victor Iwako, and Iwako was on the floor in a close game late. And here's where it hurt UNLV. On an offensive possession where Keyshawn Gilbert had a turnover, UNLV ran a ball screen for Keyshawn Gilbert. San Francisco doubled Keyshawn Gilbert off that ball screen. Why were they able to do that? Because Iwako is the one that set the ball screen, and he is not an offensive threat. That's somebody you can leave alone, you can double off of, and you're going to be mostly fine. Not a massive deal, but a small issue for UNLV when they don't have five offensive threats on the floor. Late in close games, you can double off of somebody like Iwako and help force a turnover. But the bigger issue, Victor Iwako. Defensively, you can point to him for three of the buckets that San Francisco scored in that final three minutes. He blew a rotation in the half court that gave up an open three. In transition, he blew a possession where he did not match up with the right guy, gave up an open three. And then he got posted up. San Francisco scored one two-point basket in the final three minutes. It's because they threw it into the post, and Zane Meeks just backed down Victor Iwako, turned, and had an easy layup. This is not to pile on Victor Iwako. He's a role player for UNLV. He comes off the bench. He's an energy defender. He is going to make some good plays. Hell, he had a steal and a dunk to put them up nine with 3.07 left. But Victor Iwako should not be in the game in those situations unless David Mawaka is hurt or fouled out of the game. That's on Kevin Kruger for why Victor Iwako is in that game. And I think that's a big reason why they lost. They lost. They didn't score offensively, which was a big deal. But this is a team built on defense, and they gave up 11 points on the last five possessions, and Victory Waco had mistakes that are key to why that happened. Now, Keyshawn Gilbert deserves a lot of blame as well. He did not play well at all in this game, 
and he had two turnovers down the stretch that were brutal. He also um, got beat defensively for the game-winning three-pointer by San Francisco. He's the best player on the team. He had a bad game. It happens. He deserves a lot of blame, though. And I am curious. I asked this on Friday's show. They do not have Eli Parquet. He is their top on-ball defender. Keyshawn Gilbert assumed a lot of that role. They didn't do it quite as much, but Keyshawn Gilbert assumed a lot of that sort of full-court one-man press that Parquet does. And I do wonder how much that can impact his offense. He was not good offensively against San Francisco. It's a one-game sample size. There's not a whole lot to take from that, but there might be reason to think Keyshawn Gilbert won't be the super-efficient offensive player he has been all season if Eli Parquet is going to miss a significant amount of time. So there's your sort of last three minutes where the blame goes. I do have to yell about one more thing. Okay. In college basketball, we'd end the NBA, but more so in college basketball, Team will be down two points like UNLV was final 10 seconds. Team shoots a three misses. And everybody says, why did you take a three? You're only down two. I'm going to give you some oversimplified math, some oversimplified Ooh, probabilities. My kind of math. Average college basketball player makes 33% of their threes. Average college basketball player makes 50% of their twos, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're down by two points and you take a three pointer, you have a 33% chance of winning the game. Right there, you make the three, 33% chance that you take the lead and win the game. If you're down by two, you have a 50% chance of making that shot, but you don't win on that shot. That means you have a 50% chance of going to overtime. Mm -hmm. If we assume that overtime is a 50-50 toss-up, right? It's not always, but it's pretty close. If we assume overtime is a 50-50 toss-up, then that means taking a two-pointer is giving yourself a 50% chance at a 50% chance of winning an overtime. Because the two-pointer only goes in yep. 50% of the time, and you only win in overtime 50% of the time. So what that means is taking a two gives you a 25% chance of winning, whereas taking a three gives you a 33% chance of winning. Now, oh. that is so oversimplified because different shots have different probabilities. If you can get a wide-open layup right. in the final 10 seconds, that's like 95% it's going to go in, and you should take that every single time. But you're not really getting a wide-open layup. If you can get a semi-contested layup, you should probably take that, too, because that's going to go in 70 75% of the time. But that's really hard to get because defenses know, hey, we shouldn't give up a layup right now. Right. And it's hard to do so. If you take a contested three, that's not going to go in 33% of the time. Keyshawn Gilbert, he was open on his three, but he was like eight feet behind the three-point line. So that's not going to go in at 33% of the time either. So the probabilities change based sure. on the shot you can get. But in general... There's no reason to just yell, oh, go for the two instead of the three, because in general, your win probability is better when you take the three than when you take the two, especially if you get an open three. If it's a contested three, absolutely, it's a bad shot. Right. But if you're open for three, that probably gives you a better chance to win the game than if you take any sort of two-pointer, because the two-pointer is going to be contested 90% of the time. So probability says three-pointer is almost always the better way to go when you're down to because otherwise you're playing for a 50-50 shot at overtime. Coming up next, Deshaun Reed joins the show. It's funny. I mean, isn't isn't uh, Saturday the anniversary of the Immaculate? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of, I don't know what they're going to call it this one, but it'll probably have a nickname here shortly. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, look, football's uh, every week's hard in our league, as you guys know. And, um, you know, Pittsburgh's obviously, you know, Mike does a tremendous job, and this is going to be a huge challenge for us on a shorter week uh, to go there. So uh, we will not count uh, this uh, towards any points on the scoreboard for next week. Uh, we've got to go back to work and get ourselves ready to go and try to win a tough football uh, game on the road against a tough football team. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from The Athletic is Tashawn Reed. Uh, Tashawn, you get to cover them every week. Are the Raiders the most entertaining sports team in the world? I think so. I mean, like when you got in last year, I mean, they had six walk-off wins on their way to making the playoffs and all kinds of overtime games. And they just carried over into this year. Like, it hasn't gone their way as much. So, like, I'm sure it hasn't been as fun, you know, for their fan base. But pretty much every single game they've been in besides that Saints game has gone down to the wire. I'm not sure that I've really seen a team have a season quite like this one. I know you wrote uh, about Chandler Jones and how it took a while for it to actually hit him. What happened? Uh, At what point when you were watching did you realize, oh, the Raiders are about to win the game? Well, see, when you're in the press box, it's like you have that all-22 view. And so, like, as soon as your Kobe Myers went to throw, I'm looking at, like, all right, where is this ball going? And I just look at the 50. I'm like, oh, he's throwing it to Mac Jones? And then I see Chandler Jones right there. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. Like, I didn't think he was going to score a touchdown. I'm like, but I'm just thinking, like, oh, Mac Jones about to get killed. Like, like maybe it gets deflected or something. But, like, once he actually caught it in that stiff arm, once he did the stiff arm, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know if – Somebody else could have – I didn't know Jacoby Myers had gotten up and could have chased him down or something. But, I'm like, there's no way he's not scoring after just, like, sending him to, to God like that at, at the 50-yard <laughs> line. So, once, once he once he pulled the stiff arm off, that's when I think everybody was like, oh, wow, this is his biggest one. Uh, the Raiders force a three and out from the Pats on the opening drive of the second half, but then throw a brutal pick six themselves in the ensuing possession. The rhythm seemed off for the rest of the half. Would you chalk up the latest Raiders second half regression to that or something more? Um, I think it was a mix of things. Uh, they, the big thing this game in particular was the offensive line injuries. Um, Alex Barr is a starting right guard. He was out, so they had Ronis Grouse, who hasn't played a game since 2020 in there. Um, and then Dylan Palm, who's a rookie at left guard, was played well for him. He went down due to a knee injury early on in the game. And so they had Jordan Meredith, who also hasn't played this year. Um, and so they had a couple backup guards in there up against maybe the best defensive front of football or one of the best. Um, and, and so Derek Carr had to do a lot of running for his life. Um, they didn't really have the same success in the run game as they usually do. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure there was some rust getting knocked off of Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And, again, just the Patriots' defense is really good. And so I think it was just a mix of bad factors going on in the second half of the offense. Josh Daniels also probably could have called a better game in some moments. He got a little conservative. But I don't think it was any individual thing in terms of the reason for the offense falling off in the second half. But they just did a lot of things that – it didn't go their way, um, really, until that, that, that final drive with, with Keelan Cole making that touchdown catch. Uh, a lot of stuff got buried because of how that game ended. Uh, how do you think the Patriots should feel about that Keelan Cole touchdown standing with the only good camera angle being, like, from the torch or something like that? Yeah, watching it, like, I, I thought he was out. Um it, it just seemed like the, the tip of his second foot landed out of bounds. Like, I, I know people... For one, Allegiant Stadium doesn't have turf. I don't know if people are using the turf thing, like it's grass. And so, like, the whole pellets thing doesn't really, like, apply in the same way to this one. But I I guess it was close enough to where you couldn't say it was inconclusive. And since they called it a touchdown, I think whatever they called it on the play was ultimately what they're going to 
stick with. So if they had called it incomplete, they were going to stick with that. And obviously they called it a touchdown, so they stuck with that. I don't really think the refs knew because of that lack of a, <laughs> a clear-cut camera angle. So like, all right, let's just stick with what we called, especially since it's what everybody is building wants the, call, wants the call to be and we don't want to get killed on our way out of here. So, um, you know, it's one of those bang-bang plays. Obviously that's not what decides the game. We were still going to be headed towards overtime and anything could have happened there until whatever – uh, Ramondre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers trying to do on that last play. The relationship between the Raiders and the Zebras has always been contentious, but they have so many penalties on a week-by-week basis. But last night they tied the the season high for the entire league, at least in-game. And there are more game management penalties than game play. Is this just getting plays in earlier and simplifying the verbiage, or where do you chalk up these mental errors? Yeah, I mean, it's been a thing all season. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that maybe after that game, they might have the most offensive penalties in the league. I think they were third coming in. Um, and then it's, it's been a lot of procedural stuff, you know, false starts, um, lining up the wrong way. And I think a, a lot of it is just how complex this the Josh McDaniels offensive system is, and it just takes time for guys to familiar, familiarize themselves with it. But it, it only gets enhanced when you have so many guys rotating in and out. I mean, they've had 16 offensive line combinations this season, which is, is just insane. I mean, like I said, Renfro and Waller haven't been in the rotation the whole whole way, so they've had a bunch of different tight ends and receivers, and, um, you know, not to mention even for the players that have been at the whole way, it's still something where that they, they have to learn um, and improve. But I think it's been a mix of, you know, trying to pick up the scheme and also just player error. You know, you just kind of have, you know, some of their penalties were committed by, you know, guys that have been around for a while. Jermaine Illuminar, he's been in the system for three or four years now because he used to play. Um, for the Patriots before he came to the Raiders. And so um, I think it's a discipline thing as well as, you know, kind of trying to familiarize themselves with the system. But um, I, I guess that's also been an issue for the Raiders the last couple of years is those offensive penalties and untimely offensive penalties um, really derailing them, especially when they get down to the red zone. Across these final three games, um, you know, there's really no easy matchup. You know, Steelers, 49ers, Chiefs, and there's some tough defenses in there. And they can't afford to continue to hurt themselves in addition to, you know, turnovers. That, that turnover, you know, the pick six, I, I think it was it was more of a defensive play. It's really not much that Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, or anybody could have done to avoid that one. But they've been having a lot of turnovers and a lot of penalties um, this season, and they, and they got to clean it up if they're going to get back on track offensively and look like what they want to look like um, coming down the stretch here. If you are picking one quarterback in the NFL to tackle Chandler Jones in that scenario, <laughs> who are you picking? Josh Allen. Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've seen him like shrug off defensive linemen and like make like 50 yard throws before. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he could, he could lay a good, he, 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 he's one of those quarterbacks that doesn't slide. Like I'm sure they don't like that with the bills, but like he takes on a lot of hits and seems fine after. I think he can make a tackle. I'm pretty sure he could. I don't think Mac Jones is tackling uh, Chandler Jones regardless, but I do think a big problem for him is how surprised he was that all of a sudden Chandler Jones has the ball right in front of him. Like, it's not like he was prepared. Oh, I threw a pick and I'm now running to go tackle him. It was, oh, this guy has the ball in front of me and I need to do something. Yeah. And also, I mean, all we, all you have to see to know, you know, how athletic Mac Jones isn't is they <laughs> exactly. tried to make a bootleg on third and 10 <laughs> And and he's trying to run away from Max Crosby, and it just looked like a, like a, a, a little kid trying to run away from his big brother or something. Like he's, he's not an athlete. Like he's not. He ain't hitting nobody. Like he, he was. There was no way he was going to come out victorious in that situation. That's why all the Raiders defenders in the locker room after they're like, "Yo, don't get tackled by the quarterback." And I didn't say it, but I'm sure they're thinking, "Don't get tackled by that quarterback." You know what I mean? So like, clear. I mean, Chandler Jones handled business, so you know, don't have to worry about that. But. 
it, it couldn't have been more embarrassing, I don't think, for Mac Jones. Just, it was not, he could have just tossed him aside. He could have ran past him. You know what I mean? Like, you know how quarterbacks, like, they fake try to tackle you after they yep. do a pick six or something? Like, no, you got the full brunt of, like, a stiff arm, like a Derrick Henry tier, like, stiff arm on national television and, and a way to win the game. Like, that was, that was bad. That's rough for that young man. In an alternate universe where he does make that tackle, it's probably the best play he's ever made in his career. But what's a more improbable win in your book, the Raiders over the Pats or the Vikings over the Colts? I think you got to go um, Vikings over the Colts. Like, 33-0 to zero at halftime. I stopped, I stopped paying attention to that game. I wasn't watching that, and then I checked it then. I was like, excuse me? Like, who won? And then it just, that's got to be tough for even as the Raiders' connection there is like, I believe the only team yep. the Colts have beat under Jeff Saturday is the Raiders. It's like, yo, how did y'all lose to the Colts <laughs> at home? Like, this this is one of the weirdest teams ever because, like, they have these types of wins and they have some losses. It's just like, yo, how? And then losses where they had big leads. I mean, this was going to be another one where they, they had mm-hmm. a, a halftime, a halftime double-digit lead. They were 0-4 this season when having halftime double-digit leads. That's the most times ever a team has lost when doing so. And they were on their way to doing it again in this one, but until that, you know, that, that final sequence there between Cole and Jones. And so, yeah, this is a weird team. It's a weird season. Like, you are what your record is, but I, I feel like the consensus is this team should be better. Um, and so, this is most likely going to be a year that everybody looks back on, like, man, they just did that one or that play or won this one. They could have made the playoffs again, but uh, maybe they can find something here in these final three games that they can use to kind of garner some momentum going into next season and make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, he is Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. Uh, Tashawn, good luck covering whatever miraculous way they win or lose uh, over the Christmas holiday. Thanks, Tashawn. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, so there's Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. Uh, yeah, covering a team that somehow plays the most incredible game of the week. Well, it's a Shakespearean comedy every week. It's of epic proportions. And you're right. That's what, what makes them so exciting. You never know what you're going to get. Life's like a box of chocolates. They are somehow the most average NFL team where mm-hmm. they're going to play almost everybody to a one score game. Mm-hmm. But there's there's enough incompetence that something strange is going to happen right. every single time. And sometimes time. that yields the most creative genius you've ever right. seen. It's like there's enough incompetence, but also enough star power that something yeah. bizarre is going to happen every single time. All right. We've got tickets to give away to go see Kevin Hart and his reality check tour. Two tickets for his New Year's Eve show. He's at Resorts World on New Year's Eve and on January 1st. And we've got tickets for Kevin Hart on New Year's Eve at Resorts World. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. Be caller number nine right now at 702-364-1100. And you'll win a pair of tickets to go see Kevin Hart. Ultimately, again, it comes down to making plays, not sustaining drives. I know we had some conversions on penalties defensively, which is frustrating. Um, and again, and then we penalized ourselves offensively, have a fumble in our own red zone or backed up. Um, again, that's how you keep teams like this in it. And, and make no mistake, we weren't overlooking how good this offense was. I knew how explosive they were. We all did. Making those mistakes keeps teams like that around. And once you get momentum in the NFL, it's, it's hard to swing that thing. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. <laughs> oh. Lindsay, momentum's not real. It's about like the eighth person today that's talked about momentum. You're the only, you guys are the only people I know that say it's not real. That's not true. You know other people that don't believe No, I don't. I don't really. Nobody that I talk to. Jeff Saturday bringing up momentum. Uh, how did they lose momentum after going up 33 nothing? 
by their offense completely stalling out. But why didn't momentum just carry them through? I don't know, because the Vikings took a hold of theirs. How'd they get it? By building brick by brick, <laughs> obviously. All of a sudden, I the feel like tide a brick wall would turn. be something that would stop momentum. I don't know. Depends on if you're running into it or building it. <laughs> Congratulations to Mike. He won tickets to go see Kevin Hart. Eli's going to see Iggy Pop. Uh, stay tuned. Throughout the week, I believe we have more tickets for both of those uh, to give out. Um, you are unaware of something that is uh, or was not as much anymore, but a big part of this show. And that is uh, my fake horses and fake chickens. Yes. Uh, Ken Bulky uh, from Vegas. I sit he, next to him in the press box during night's games. He and I uh, and a couple other guys uh, own a bunch of fake horses. They are NFT horses, but they race each other for money. And it's phenomenal. Oh my god! Uh, it's the most dude thing I've ever heard. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. Um, we were talking about you at the Knights game the other day, and I didn't realize that you and Ken were so tight. And he's like, "Yeah, Tyler doesn't talk about anything real." And I'm like, "No wonder you guys get along." And between that and your Phil Kessel takes, he's like, "We invest together." I'm like, "Oh my god!" Why would I talk about things that are real? I don't know. I was just tra- describing you. I'm like, yeah, he just a lot of stats, a lot of analytics, a lot of like whatever. And he's like, yeah, he doesn't talk about anything that's real. Like, yeah. correct. Why would I do that? I don't know. I don't really talk about anything that's real either. Yeah. So, yes, we can race our fake horses against other people that own fake horses for money. Where do they race? On the internet. What do you uh, mean? Where does do somebody they race? own the stadiums that they ra- the, the fake stadiums that uh, they race in? That is a future part of it that the, the game developers, whatever they want to be yeah. called. Uh, yeah, they want to have that in the future, but no, they're just uh, auto-generated. They're how just you, straight race tracks. How do you find this particular venture? Uh, Ken found this one. Okay. I can't remember. I think his brother got into it, and then he just one day in a group chat was like, I'm buying a fake horse for $900. Oh my god. And I was like, that sounds oh, fun. It's I'm, like the stock market. Everything's was, made up. It's not real. Yeah. So I was like, that sounds fun. I'm into. And yeah, we bought a lot of horses. A um, chair is a chair only because we agree it to be so. Yeah. Linguistics. We we bought a lot of horses uh, and actually made a lot. I realize of, you were such an equestrian. Yeah. They're fake horses. It's, it's the greatest part. All the good parts about owning horses. We don't have to feed it. We don't have to house it. We don't have to clean up after it. <laughs> the maintenance costs are hella low. Right. They're fake. So the, none of none of the bad parts of owning a horse are there. It's just a fake horse. Did you horse. In, uh, invest in uh, the, the superhero NFTs that were released over the I weekend? I did not invest in the are big announcement it? NFTs. No, I am not uh, investing in the Trump NFTs. <laughs> I did see somebody basically call them out for stealing a stock photo to use as the NFT. Yeah. Because it still had one of the Shutterfly uh, <laughs> watermarks on it. <laughs> oh, we're living in an alternate reality. So I'm convinced well. of that more and more every now, day. Now, if, if the Trump NFTs could race each other, I might be in. Oh, but yeah. But I don't think they can race. I don't think they have that... Uh, that possibility. No, that's probably too complicated. But yeah, we've got we've got horses. Goodwill Rush is our all time greatest horse. She's Goodwill the, Rush. She's the mother of most of our good horses. Oh, they're breeding horse. Is oh, there are there are there? We, that's, what that's do how they call we made it? Money. Sire rights. Yeah, yeah. That's how we made money. Is you breed the horses. <laughs> oh, you guys are weird. So just just to give you the update here, Let's go buy some when, food. When the game was at its height. We were breeding horses 
nonstop and selling them to make Just money. Go play Sims. Yeah, you don't make money on Sims. Um, the game, I would oh say, became oversaturated with horses, so it's very hard to make money you breeding horses. You diluted the, the gene right, pool, absolutely, did you? Absolutely, absolutely. We had a great Damn. short-term plan. We did not have a good long-term plan. Is it just a gamble on what baby horse pops out, what their attributes are? Yes. I mean, there is a lot of, I mean, hey, there's a lot of like, well. uh, hey, if its parents are good racers, you've got a better shot at it being a good racer, but there's no like formula to know so there's exactly. no premium like meal that you have to feed them to help there's enhance no that nope. it's just a good race so like horse what if there's not. a horse that doesn't have great genetics but you don't give it the opportunity to get fed really well and 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 work out with the top trainer and all of a sudden come you out of nowhere them. you like, just race them until you think you've seen enough to yeah know but you're not, not giving those horses the enough avenues to improve themselves they're they are what horses. they are i don't care what their feelings that's are. just that's incredibly depressing for the apples and the trees is it i think so i don't think so um the other fun part is that there's different distances and the horses are better at like some are really good at short sure. distances some are really oh, good at I long suppose distances. there's probably yeah. an eclectic mix so, of hoof shape yeah so you've got it there's mm. not there is not that but there are different colored horses there are what yeah. color horses do you have uh all different colors all um, of them okay we got a gray one you have a purple one uh we did at one point i think that's one of the ones we sold that was purple oh. um they're also that's you can buy nice. like uh fun coats that you put on them and make them a different color coats. yeah my goodness. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, racing fake horses is definitely a highlight of the last three years of my life. The stuff we make up and call it important is fascinating to me yeah. about the human condition. Yeah. It was great. It was phenomenal fun. Uh, it certainly has died off some. It used to be a regular part of the show. Well, we raced our horses. We were all doing very questionable things during the panty. We raced our horses on the air and like oh. Ed and Jared watched them <laughs> and reacted to our horses racing on the air. Yeah. We had, they, they do tournaments and we were in the, uh, what were we in? Like the round of 32 of a big tournament. And really? we, we totally blew it. Totally blew it. Oh, that's but unfortunate. We, that was the biggest race in our stables history and completely blew it. Huh. So, but it was fun. You should uh, buy some fake horses. Uh, I wouldn't they're even probably, know what website not, to go to. They're not expensive. Z E D. They're not like that the artist. No. I'd be more likely to buy like music NBT, NFTs than anything. They can. They can. Can they race each other? I don't know. That I'm not. Sense. Maybe not as competitive as you are in in that sense. Race for money. That's the key there. Okay. Stick them in there. Goodwill Rush made us rich. Thank you, Goodwill. We still have her. Haven't sold her yet.